Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. Yeah. David. Go ahead and make fun of me. <laughs> you look like... After 200 and whatever this episode is, I don't know not to take a drink of water as you're starting to intro the show. How I know you're going to toss to me in like one and three quarter seconds. Yeah. Yet. I mean, I guess it's... Hello. Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I... I'm just taking a huge gulp and giving you the like stretch it out <laughs> signal. But uh, yes, it's been a long it's been a long time, David, and uh, we're good friends. Yeah, less so because of the show. We were better friends before we started doing the show. It's frustratingly true, isn't it? <laughs> All right, I'd say this a million. Uh, I say this almost every week. Tyler and I, I've known been friends with Tyler as long as I've been friends with anyone, and yet at this point, are about eighty five percent of the conversations that we have with each other are on the podcast. We don't talk. This is so uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. We should have told <laughs> the guest kidding. that we will toss to her once we're done getting our bullshit out of yeah. our system. But uh, This is our version of banter. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, okay. Catch out of the bag, obviously. We have a guest. Indeed. I just mentioned it. Um, so let's let's bring her in. Uh, she's, uh, she's a stand-up comic. She is... This is completely uh, uh, just... Uh, fortuitous and by happenstance, but last week our guest was Susan Burke, and we have another one of the Birds of Prey, not the WB TV show, <laughs> Emily Maya Mills. Good afternoon, good evening. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? Very good. I'm sorry I interrupted your banter. That's okay. I don't, I don't know if interrupt is the right. You. I stabbed it. You relieved the the, oh. the yeah. audience. <laughs> yeah. So it's well, I just felt fine. badly that you guys hadn't been spending any quality time together lately, and felt like I should leave. Quite That's frankly, right, I don't. Oh. <laughs> you know, he has. I give him a place in my <laughs> what life. What do you think was the last movie you and I saw together? When we lived in Chicago, we went to the movies together a lot. Oh yeah. What was the last movie you and I saw together? The Host. No, that was like four years ago. No, there has to have been. Uh, uh, uh Los Angeles plays itself. No. Yeah, that was two years ago. There no, going on three. There has to have been anyway. something. This is just sad. Hey, guys. Oh, no. It's modern times. Most people are friends through microphones these days anyway. Right. There you go. That's how we do it. Um, but no, we didn't bring Emily here to moderate me and Tyler's <laughs> marriage counseling <laughs> session. <laughs> we are going to talk to her about movies. But first, let's get to know Emily Maya Mills. Um, I, I, I knew you first as someone who worked at the UCB Theater. And then... Uh, I, I've seen you since do stand up at, uh, you know, the late uh, lamented See You Next Tuesday show at mm-hmm. Tiger Lily at uh, the Tomorrow Show, mm-hmm. right? These are the ones that I go yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, so um, I like those shows. So let's start with where are you from? Originally, I'm from San Francisco, the city of, I think it's always the second question that people ask, but yeah, from, from the city proper. Ah, I don't know enough about San Francisco to have asked. Oh, the second follow-up question? If someone tells me they're from San Francisco, I assume they're from San Francisco. Oh, really? Most of the rest of the world does not. Most of the rest of the world or most of the Bay Area will say that they're from San Francisco and what they mean is like Marin or Oakland or Piedmont or Dublin or Alameda or Fremont. I've I've, I've been to the (laughs) airport in Oakland. That's as close as I've come to San Francisco. I was on the way. My girlfriend and I drove up. We picked up. Uh, my mom and, and her and her husband and we uh, at the airport they flew out 
and then we drove up to Dillon Beach. Do you know where that where that is? It's no. about it's about another hour or more north of San Francisco. Weird. My brother's and, name is Dillon, and mm-hmm. he's a surfer. My dad and my brother were surfer <laughs> are surfers, and I've I've never been to Dillon Beach. I don't think it's 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 up there near um what's the not Napa but the other wine. Uh, Sonoma. Sonoma. It's, uh-huh. Yeah, near Sonoma. Interesting. D i l l i o n or d y l a n. D i l l o n. Dillon Beach. Dillon Beach. Yeah. They I must have not have a break there, man. Or yeah, or else the surfers surfer, would, would yeah. know about it. Yeah. It's just. It's <laughs> but just it's a, really a lovely part of the mediocre state. beach. Lovely part of the state. No, I'm sure it's beautiful. I love San Francisco. I uh, I went there uh, several years ago when. Uh, my wife and I still lived in Chicago, and we were looking for a place to go. We were going to go to New Orleans for a vacation, Lovely. and then that went bad, and we decided, oh, and we, we had to actually return our New Orleans tourism book to Borders, because we were just like, <laughs> we have really no need for this book now, right? Oh, so man. we went there. We New Orleans lost two pennies. It couldn't afford exactly. to lose that day, those so, residuals. Uh, so instead, we went to San Francisco, and it was uh, beautiful. I loved it. It was we, a really yeah. wonderful place. We That's will get to asking Emily some more questions, but I just uh, want to go on tangents as usual. Oh, good. Um, did I ever tell my story, my sort of Katrina, how I learned about Katrina story? Because no. I drove from... I moved out here from Chicago, mm-hmm. sp- took a U-Haul, and spent. it took us like four days to get out here. And I think we left Chicago like the morning the hurricane hit. And so we were like essentially off the grid for four days, just driving, mm-hmm. you know, uh, listening to like the tape deck in the U-Haul, staying at hotel rooms. And so we get here, and it's four days after, and it just seemed like, oh, my God. what ha-? Like, because it, it all, like, I learned about it all at once, uh, about the whole katrina thing i did i had no idea it wasn't developing over days it was just all of a sudden there's a benefit concert happening tomorrow night and oh my god (laughs) it just kind of hit you like a hurricane huh (laughs) that was rude that feels rude whatever that joke was but i had the opposite the exact opposite experience when i was coming to la i was coming from new york Uh um and just i had spent the summer there and my roommate who i was moving out with um we spent three and a half weeks driving out we stopped in new orleans we went all over i mean we pup tents like we went we spent time in the great smoky mountains we went to graceland which i i was against and then ended up loving it like it was like american royalty this is amazing (laughs) this is our versailles it was (laughs) in that it's not as impressive as you (laughs) have you been to versailles like i've been to versailles the grounds are amazing the building itself like it's kind of small like the rooms are small well the same with graceland i thought it was like a ranch and we drove in in the middle of the night thinking oh we'll just stay at the koa on like the campground of america on Mm -hmm. elvis presley boulevard thinking it was like ranch country Uh and it was the middle of (laughs) the ghetto (laughs) we were literally scared for i mean just drove into town and it was like rims and fuzzy dice in the mirror like just the beat rattling really shitty hoopty rides in the middle i mean it was like four o'clock in the morning and in the ghetto in the ghetto yeah um but long story short uh we went to we stopped in new orleans and i really wanted to stay there i I was like i we even lined up jobs that night we kind of went out and uh, in one or two nights like had figured out like places where we could work and places where we could stay and i was like we were 24 like nobody's waiting for us on the other side we don't have jobs we don't have an apartment yet everything was like up in the air what difference does it make let's spend four months living and working in new orleans like why not and we almost came so close and then like 
my the girl I was moving out with like had a mood swing in the morning as she was wont to do and was like I can't take it I'm not gonna get to where I'm going which is fine except that when do you get to be 24 and hang out in the New Orleans it never doesn't exist anymore yeah. for four months so, so how long were you there about 12 hours um we were probably there for two days two or three days and then when we got to LA it was actually three days before 9-11 oh wow hmm. so it was like a whole kind of mishmash of all Oh, man. The backwards way of your trip happening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, bomber. Well, I, <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Emily. Thanks for coming. I'm <laughs> so bombs and hurricanes. Sorry, no planes and hurricanes. <laughs> That's sort of like like young twenties wanderlust or whatever. Something you could do. I moved out here from Chicago with nothing waiting for me. You know, not right. an apartment or anything. Um, certainly not a job. Uh, and I feel like now, like I have like a. I have like a regular ad- adult type job, day job now, and I have a great apartment that I love, and a and a cat, and a and a girlfriend that I live with, and it's all great. Uh, but New Orleans is like the one city that's still that like has that pull to me. Mm-hmm. Like I still do like sometimes think like I should I should just drop everything and go to go to New Orleans. It's it's the greatest magical, city on the planet. Man, it's like pure magic. Yeah, that was my that was my experience too. Just walking through the streets and like these sort of wind instruments filling the air mm-hmm. and you're like what is this voodoo draw you know yeah. <laughs> what is this crazy like spirit that this place has yeah. i don't know what it, I there's mean, live like music coming out of every, every open door you yeah. walk past <laughs> there's beads hanging from the electrical lines in right. october right like, <laughs> yeah tropical magic dr- growing through the <laughs> like the boards and the floor yeah. you know just beautiful yeah well, I've not been to New Orleans, so I can't relate, so I'll latch on to something else. Uh, David, as you were describing your life and who you live with, uh, the uh-huh. cat got top billing over your girlfriend, which struck <laughs> me as fun. I've been with the cat longer. <laughs> you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't earned it yet. She's still You're a still getting player. a hot couch to sleep on tonight. <laughs> Oh, she, she very warm the show no <laughs> <laughs> maybe if she did she'd work her way up <laughs> yeah the cat listens <laughs> i mean she doesn't have a choice right yeah i, I literally you put, put headphones on, on. <laughs> you put headphones on the cat and richly would you like to hear what uh, uncle like tyler to, and i have been up to? i don't like to say what my cat's name is you just said it you said it with uh, matt dwyer oh yeah yeah because it's embarrassing what my cat's it? my cat's name is richlu after cardinal richlu ah. the uh uh you know the Catholic spiritual advisor to Louis the Thirteenth, because at the time that I got the cat, I was a sort of pretentious pseudo intellectual college student, I, and now I thought you're it was cool. Out of college, Aww. yeah. Now it's seven years later, and I'm a real human being, and uh, it's it's a pretty. I still think it's a pretty name for a cat, mm-hmm. um, but it is a little embarrassing. <laughs> so now you're just a pseudo what? You drop the intellectual. He's just a company <laughs> I'm a pseudo broadcaster. Ah. Yeah. So we do a podcast. Someday we're going to work our way out of that pseudo. That's neither here nor there, David. Let's get back to talking about uh, Emily Maya Mills. You came here to talk about yourself. No. Solely. No. <laughs> you gave Man. us a call. You said, I'm looking for venues in which I can talk about me and only me. Yeah. Don't distract from, from that. Yeah. And uh, I said, we wanted to yeah, provide. You're that. like, it's four hours? 
too long? <laughs> no. Um. And I was like, can you give me any other phone numbers of anybody else you know who might have a podcast <laughs> that I can get, get on? People with podcasts in Los Angeles are hard to come by. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> They're few and far between. Um, <sighs> okay, so you're from San Francisco. You apparently were in New York City at some point. Was that living there or i spent the summer before i moved out here um in new york city and i went to school in boston okay and that summer in new york city and that was pretty much my my only time away from san francisco until i i I spent a couple of years back in san francisco after college somehow i feel like if anybody did the math on this i would be really busted in hollywood terms of like (laughs) 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 oh gosh i've said my age um (laughs) But yeah, uh, I, I grew up in the city and spent most of my life there until I left uh, to come here, basically, because I was in, you know, in Boston for 3.5 years. I didn't go for a full four. I had been kind of bouncing around and doing mm. a junior college thing before Boston. I went to Emerson. Mm. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much my, my big exodus from San Francisco. Other than the places that I had been to be- beyond that up to that point were Cuba Egypt, Israel, and like that's, and then Europe in college or whatever. Yeah. So you want to go to places that were relaxing, (laughs) uh, (laughs) just a place you can kick back and not really worry about things. Yeah, things that like hadn't been scarred by (laughs) wars or uprisings. You know. I want to ask you about Cuba, but first I want to point out I think that makes you the third Emerson alum who's been a guest on the show after Matt Belknap and Jen Kirkman, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, Jen Kirkman, I had no idea. Did she She's from Boston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe I didn't I'm know wrong that about she that. Went to no, she went to Emerson. Did okay. she? Yeah. There you go. And I knew that she came up doing comedy in Boston as well, but I just, I guess I never knew she went to Emerson. That's crazy. So when did you go to Cuba? In 1996. Um, I mean, did you go with friends or with family or? Um, I, I went with a group of like San Francisco kids, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this friend of ours. Uh, Green Day? Yeah, my buddy's Green Day. Yeah, no, I was a little different in uh, in high school and middle school, and I probably didn't even know who Green Day was at the time. Um, but my friend JoJo had been, uh, he had done some outreach work and had been to Cuba with this group called Global Exchange, and then he was sadly killed in the city in San Francisco, oh. like mm. sort of randomly, and then his parents being um, full-blown Northern California hippies were like, it's it's the fault of the system. Like, it, it was like a, a, a sort of drugged-out gangster guy that sort of came out of nowhere and, like, fiddled around with a gun, and, he, you know, he ended up... This is really um, hilarious stuff here. <laughs> Sorry. But but anyway, um, his parents being like these really pure, wonderful people who, who just wanted uh, people to have um, this outreach experience for some reason in, 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 in memorandum, you know, mm-hmm. um, or they organized this trip with the group he had gone out to Cuba with. And it was like somewhere between a really great outreach uh, program where we brought supplies and visited um, sites and schools and people and did some community work and community service and a lot of like party like (laughs) chilling out in Havana like had so much fun I mean it was like really beautiful experience we got to like kick back and experience what is so beautiful about Cuba when you have oppression you have what? Oh, things growing out of wildly out mm-hmm. of the oppression, you know, where music and culture and dancing right. and just a general spirit was like really, really beautiful. And 
such an interesting thing to see uh, in an island state on the water, just people who have nothing and are totally in love with the air and each other mm. and whatever. It's, it's certainly not a perfect system, and there, it's just interesting to see both sides of it. So hmm. what, uh, having been to Cuba, all right, Godfather Part 2, Before Night Falls, <laughs> or Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, which, which of those three top three Cuba movies is the best Cuba movie? <laughs> well, I would have to say, wait, did you say Godfather which one? Part 2. Part 2. Godfather Part 2. Okay. As we all know, Godfather Part 3 is like fucked up wrong. It's, like it's like one of the worst things that ever happened. It's, it's no good. It's um, upsetting. It's... I know. You, yeah, you're gonna it's, be. It's gonna some it? good. No, I think it's the kind of thing I, I, that, yeah, I want to search for things to defend in it too. Like, I'll uh, say I, this. I, I like the fashion in it. Well, sure, <laughs> uh, sure. Andy Garcia in like a like a leather wide lapeled sport coat. That's that's for me. What's what, what the thing about Godfather Three is? The things that are good about it. If it was just straight up terrible all the way through, every character was written poorly and, and acted poorly, then you could be like, okay, it's just terrible. But the fact that some of it is good, that's like just such a tease of like, oh, Pacino's doing pretty good work in the film. Andy Garcia, Joe Mantegna, like pretty pretty good uh, performances and uh, and exploring like the role that the that the Catholic Church, uh, like the complicity that they have in, in organized crime and stuff. Like, okay, it, it's exploring some interesting things. Which makes the completely poor execution, like the execution, yeah. is the atrocity. Like, but it's also it's not written very well. Ter- okay, I'm sorry, Sofia Coppola, terrible actress. Oh Never my should god! Have been cast. <laughs> like what? That 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 alone is the greatest injustice of movie history. <laughs> well, she's redeemed herself by directing some good. By directing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Something very different from being in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm she sorry. learned a lesson, and I hope. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, also, I mean, yeah, the the Catholic Church and the Vatican stuff, I guess, is interesting on its own. But it seems like a different movie. It doesn't feel. It's sort of like the uh, uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance of, like, mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. sort of Die Hard with a Vengeance is just an action movie. It doesn't have anything that really, other than John McClane, that connects it to the Die Hard movies. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Godfather Part Three, as much as that might have been made an interesting script, the whole Vatican thing, it seems like what Godfather, the Godfather movies were sort of about this, the underbelly of the American dream and stuff like that. And that seemed like if it had been called a different story, if mm-hmm. it had been titled something different, and and the character names were different, but the script was the same and, and the cast was the same. Except for Sophia Coppola. Except for Sophia Oh my um, gosh. Put another celebrity kid in there somewhere. Well, it's supposed to be Winona Ryder, <laughs> which would have been great. Are you serious? Yeah. Would it have been? What was that? Would it have been great? It would have been better than it oh, is. It would have been a lot better. I don't know. The movie would have been great, but that would have been a much better choice. And she was um, distractingly and offensively a big problem in that movie. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> just it was a problem yeah it's, it was unbelievable it's very strange i uh like she says the lines i don't necessarily like i believe that her character thinks these things but there is just something about and this is going to sound mean something about an amateur and there's just this intangible quality where it's like i don't buy you yep you don't belong in the world of these other people. Right. You belong in a different world, even though I just 
you're saying the lines, and I understand why you're saying them. Right. So it's not that uh, it's it, I can't pin it on lack of believability, but there is just something. I don't know if it's a lack of confidence or just being uh, being uncomfortable in her own skin. I can't put my finger on it, but there is just something about amateur acting or yeah. non-professional acting in the midst of Andy Garcia, Al Pacino, Diane Keaton, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean it's so distracting, and it's it's more amateur. Acting is, uh, you put your, your finger on it. That alone is something that, because I think when you, when, when a person first attempts to act, their only knowledge of acting is that they know nothing about it. So there's no assumption of knowledge, I guess. Mm. And so with that, you, you, you have instantaneous self awareness, right? right? Mm. And therefore, it's impossible to create. So, so what you have is bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, self-aware art, self-aware anything, self-aware stand-up. Ugh, the worst. <laughs> like self. I mean, not in a not. I don't mean self-reflective. Uh, I mean, right. Yeah. No. Self-conscious. You know. Well, that's that gets me to into b- back to the interviewee type stuff. Uh-huh. Um, we were into movies, David. <laughs> but I just, but actually, I. I I have a. I kind of want to ask the question uh, right. that you're headed towards. Yes, comedy. How did you get into it, and where? At what point in your travels across uh, America? Um, oh my God, that's a good question. I I I probably started comedy for comedy's sake, like somewhere in the last ten years in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, probably about ten years ago in L.A. People often ask me, you know, did you do such and such at Emerson? Did you do comedy? Did you do the improv? You know, there was a sketch in an improv kind of club at comedy that at uh, Emerson that people, most people who do comedy came out of. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I don't. I never touched either. Uh, I didn't do stand up when I was in college. I think my first sort of thing was like in high school when I was doing plays and I went to Emerson for acting. I was definitely, you know, uh, geared towards the comedy. I was always sort of cast in the comic relief roles and that kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, this is easy. So I decide, I thought at the time that I was easy for me. So I went full tilt boogie to, to develop the dramatic acting side of Mm -hmm. things. And really thought that it was important for me to figure that out and it was and I'm glad glad I did but in the course of that you know five to seven years later I sort of figured out that like what I was drawn to and what I really wanted to do was comedy stuff so I started with with improv and sketch and and character stuff and did that for a long time and I've been doing stand-up for about five five years now which Mm -hmm. is less than the rest of it but in total probably about nine ten years of like what I would consider comedy yeah. <laughs> and it's uh I want to go back a little bit to uh you talking about um self-aware stand up and you talked about self-aware acting and you're absolutely right if somebody is is just they I think this is what I'm supposed to do as opposed to if they were playing the character the character would just do it. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't think this is what I'm supposed to do, right? Yeah, person um, doesn't. And uh and you jump to uh, self-aware stand-up, which is, of course, different than uh, self-reflective. Uh, um, at the at the risk of having uh, you like go off on what's wrong with stand-up today and that sort of thing, uh, how do you how do you define self-aware stand-up and why is it bad in your opinion? 
Um, well, yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't go off on what's wrong with stand up today just because I don't like I think stand up's in a really good place mm. today. It's it's a pretty amazing and, and exciting time, I think, in in as far as I can tell in L.A., New York and San Francisco. Um, I don't know. There's just really in, in Portland and with Bridgetown and everything else. Like it seems to be very vibrant and very cool. And there's a lot of like risks being taken. And I think that there are um, different it's going in a different direction from obviously for years now from like your traditional sort of club atmosphere, which opens things up to so much freedom creatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can just, you can, you can see a great range of, uh, of like artistic development, I think in, in comedy today. And uh, it's not super defined uh, as to what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you were saying is what makes it self, what makes self aware. I, yeah, th- I think it's just like, that? I would define that as probably anything you would see at an open mic hmm. like that. And, and anything that you would see in, in the sense of like, um, greenness, mm-hmm. uh, and, and like you were describing as amateur acting with Sofia mm-hmm. Coppola or whatever. It's like, and that's a bummer. Uh, but some people never break out of that. And that's what I think is like, the difference is like it's one thing to be new or green it's another thing to sort of uh never to to stay that way for for 10 to 15 years and keep banging your head against the wall mm-hmm. and i think um that's a bummer to watch <laughs> or that's a bummer to see but what am i trying to say that what makes it what makes it what's a definition of self-aware yeah as stand-up? far as as far as comedy and you well, don't necessarily have to st- stand by that or anything you don't have to be really specific about it well no i mean i i think that and some people would argue with this um what i think is funny and what i like am inspired by in performances probably is something that that i connect to or that i that i see or that I feel beyond the words necessarily. So like if there's an experience happening with the person mm-hmm. um, in the way that they're like uh, emotional, mental or creative compulsivity is coming out like that to me is happening more so in performance. I guess that's the most literal way to put it is, is like more so in performance. To me, what's funny tends to have more to do with the person uh their experience on stage Mm -hmm. and that's what's interesting to me as a performer is like the experience on stage um and sometimes as much as writing is super important jokes and all that stuff i think sometimes people can get up there and just like hit that hard writery kind of joke thing and it's funny Mm -hmm. that's not what's as interesting to me uh that's not the most interesting thing to me and and some of my favorite stand-ups are um weirdly like just 100% magnified versions of themselves where they're like not doing a uh, a shtick or saying something in a rhythm or hitting a certain tonality, Mm -hmm. but like they're either their honesty or their vulnerability is like magnified or completely. Um, some of my earliest examples of that when I was like really watching and studying and seeing what, what it was that was like, um, attracting me to the the 
the art or the form or whatever uh was like jan kirkman is Mm -hmm. a good example of like someone who is ultimately like what is so funny about her and what's absolutely the most brilliant thing about her as a performer is like this she's ten thousand percent her (laughs) you know what i mean like she is really this like wide open sort of ripped open example of her own experience, you know? And it's like really fascinating to watch. It's like, that's more creative to me than somebody carving it out from the outside, carving mm-hmm. out the performance right. or chiseling it away from the outside. Does that make sense? And it's, and that actually speaks to something that, uh, that I've been thinking about a lot lately. We've talked about, uh, actors who do this and comedians who do this. And I think, performers and even artists in general there is something i think anytime you go into uh trying to create something even if it is creating just a review for our site you you find yourself like the first instinct is okay what does a let's let's go with writing what does a writer sound like what does a writer (laughs) do (laughs) i think i'll try to be that right much like okay what would an actor do or what does a comedian sound like i guess a comedian sounds like this Mm -hmm. and i think that's where you start and then after a while i think you recognize that well i can't just be this amorphous uh you know anonymous comedian Mm -hmm. i need to be me Mm -hmm. and so now how do i write how do i perform how do i how would i act in this situation Mm -hmm. and that's where that's where it stems from but i know that there's you know some people i know that i have a difficult time with this anytime i want to write something that is quote-unquote profound uh (laughs) i'll be like okay what do profound writers even if i'm just (laughs) writing about movies self-aware yeah yeah and just and so it is an instinct that uh because there's that desire for not necessarily approval, but that desire to be told what you're doing is good based on this criteria of this is what people, this is good work that people have done in the past, and you fit into that as well. Right. Well, I, I mean, I think that that defines exactly what I think mastery. Mm. Mastery to me, I think the definition of mastery, of especially when it comes to an art form, is like you have to have both technique or knowledge of technique. Um, you have to be technically proficient as well as completely chaotic and mm-hmm. pure and raw. And that's like such a weird, um, almost what would be a, a, a mutually exclusive Venn diagram if we were going to you know, put it down on paper, that the two are separate, but it, the masters have a beautiful eclipse of those two things Mm -hmm. where they're schooled, proficient, technically sound. There's no question about their ability. And yet like there's something really, uh, um, uh, completely organic about what they're doing. Yeah. You know, uh, um, a comedian that I've really come to love over the past couple of years, because I think he's doing great work, even though I find myself so, opposed to so many of his viewpoints is bill burr I don't oh know yeah oh yeah a he's a he's great like, and that's yeah something by definition. that i tell people like since i moved out here and started you know i've always i grew up a fan of comedy watching stand-up on tv and on comedy central and stuff like that but it wasn't until i moved out here that i started seeing a lot of live comedy that i've I, I've, I've told people repeatedly you haven't seen any single comedian until you've seen them in person because mm-hmm. there's and and bill burr is a great example of that like he's his jokes are funny when you see him on tv He's funny, but when he's in a room, not only is he just so 
openly like in the Jen Kirkman way, so openly himself, mm-hmm. but also his mastery and his control of a room, of any room, is uh, is a thing to behold. Todd mm-hmm. Glass is another guy I put mm-hmm. in that in that same category. Mm-hmm. And there's and it's interesting because when you s- when you uh, see the uh, the performers that have been at it for a while, admittedly, like there, just because you've been at it a while doesn't necessarily mean you're being you're going to be raw or whatever. But you do have the ability to sort of take over a room and you see some people like seeing some people live. There's a lot of comedians that David, you and I would see on comedy central and then we would see them live or we had them on the show and you discover that, man, these people just are, they just have funny in their bones. It is now instinct for them to be conversationally hilarious. Mm -hmm. And for, uh, I'll bring up somebody that has been on the show, which is uh, Bill Dwyer, (laughs) who is somebody who, He's funny conversationally, and we, I'd seen him at the UCB and stuff like that, and he performed at our first live show. And then I saw him like do uh, his his like official set at mm-hmm. uh, the Improv, and it just like blew me away. And I I was pretty familiar with Bill Dwyer at that point, and it's just amazing how some people can just be that raw and that able to just uh, take everything over. It's still be. Going to work when they yeah. get up on stage. Absolutely. But you mentioned the UCB, and I, I don't want to like spend too much time dwelling on your job. But it is of interest to me because I, you know, you, you talk about what a great time this is for stand-up comedy, and a big part of uh, one of the greatest things, especially in Los Angeles, stand-up comedy, is the comedy death ratio. Uh, comedy which bang is bang. Comedy bang bang, is, as it's now <laughs> called, um, which is at at the UCB. And I mean, you've been you've been working at the UCB as long as I've been going there. I don't mm-hmm. know if you were there from the beginning, but what? What is that like working in that theater other than trying to keep people in single file against the sidewalk so people can... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they're... Like, <laughs> before I saw you do uh, comedy, my main association with you was, oh, I, I got to get back against the sidewalk yeah, so people can walk that, their dogs That's me. rough, I know. That was, but, something, that was a battle I had to um, overcome for sure. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, talk about working there and and, and uh, being just being privy to that scene, especially when you were... You know, on, you know, at that point, only maybe a few years into uh, comedy in general, and just starting stand up at that point. I would, I, yeah. Based on the I started the first time I ever did stand up was at the UCB, and it oh. was um, I had been working there. I started working there. Uh, I started as an intern, just like a month or two after it opened, because um, yeah, I went to the first, the very first Sunday Ask at like as an improviser mm-hmm. and someone who was interested in in comedy, uh, and then pretty quickly. Um, started interning and then pretty quickly thereafter started managing and I've been there. So almost the, it's going to be six years soon. It's crazy to think about. Um, so, uh, uh, privy to, sorry, wait, I had a thought. What, where were we? About uh, the sidewalk? About the sidewalk. No, <laughs> after the sidewalk, the experience being there. Oh God, it was so good. Was so Are you going to tell you your first time doing stand-up? Oh, my first time doing stand-up. Yeah. Well done, David. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I definitely had been wanting to do it for a long time, and I always really thought that it was going to be sort of in this, like, hole in a while. You know what's funny? Here's a good story that I haven't thought about in a long time. I used to live in an apartment building with Kate Micucci of uh-huh. uh, Garfunkel and Oates. Right. And we, I just realized that at the same time, years ago, we were both saying, I mean, she was doing some music stuff and some art stuff and some, like, puppet stuff and 
some acting. She hadn't really delved into comedy mm-hmm. b- specifically. And I had been doing comedy and I really wanted to try stand up. And she was like, me too. And I remember us having these conversations like, maybe we should just like go to like the rainbow room to that weird attic thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Like we just really thought that we, I, I remember at the, around the same time and neither one of us ever at that time followed through with this idea of going to a random anonymous place uh-huh. to just try it. So it ended up for me being um, at UCB. There was a show called that Eddie Pepitone and, and Sean Conroy used to run called Pimped, which I think is still a really brilliant format for a show, which is just uh, audience members or anyone who wants to can put their um, name in one bucket and a subject matter in the other. They draw one of each and you have to come back a week later with a set on that topic. So five minutes on that topic. Uh-huh. And then there were a couple of spots that were um, that were immediate improvised sets. Uh-huh. So you would like one or two people would get chosen to go up immediately on a subject that you were given and try uh-huh. to just do improvised stand up for five minutes or something. And so for the first few times that I, I put my name in, which I didn't get picked probably the first three times or so, every time I was like sh- shaking, like uh-huh. that I was going to get one of those improvised sets and humiliate myself. Plus it was my place of work. It was so terrifying. <laughs> I would literally like stand in the lobby just sweating and like trying not to shit. And, like, oh, it was horrible. It was like such a horrible feeling. And then finally I did um, not, I got picked not to go up that night, but to come back with my first set on Impractical Shoes. And I did my first set on practical shoes. And my second set I did there too was on dinosaurs. And it ended up being the best thing for me because when you don't know where to start and someone says, start with this, you go, okay. Oh, okay. Wait, I can write. Oh, wait, I can't write jokes. Oh, wait, I can't speak into a microphone and say them, make people laugh. Oh, this is great. Okay. And how much of your practical shoes chunk is still in your act today? None of it. (laughs) (laughs) Not a single piece. Um, Yeah. Do you. were you were you pleased with your uh, impractical shoes? Bit? I was, okay. yeah, I was really pleased with it. It was really fun. Okay. I was my, my my first time up was like super fun. I even brought a balloon um, that had nothing to do with the impractical shoes bit, but I brought a balloon to just have for fun for my first time doing stand up, and I um, <laughs> took an opportunity, a moment to pop it to hmm. pop my cherry per se uh-huh. or nice. whatever, and it was very ceremonious and it was fun. So. Uh, We'll get into movies in a second. Though. I do want to <laughs> uh, one more thing. We got uh, last week. We got Susan's perspective on the formation of Birds of Prey, oh, and yeah. you should have heard her talk about how she makes all the decisions. <laughs> uh, no, but um, talk about Birds of Prey because it is a fascinating thing to me. It's three very, it's three very funny people, and uh, and then I'm just so fascinated in the idea of it being whether the all female thing is a hook or just three. It's just three people who are very funny, which is yeah. how I how I see it. That's, I mean, it's a good question. I don't know. I, I don't know. On some level, it it must be the hook because what we've some of our most successful videos really focus on some aspect of uh, womanness. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think the intent. I don't think it's coming uh, through the filter of like, oh, we're writing about and for like girl jokes or something mm-hmm. like that. But it does just so happen that like, I don't know, the subject matter of like a few of our of our videos has been, um, you know, sort of female centric. But I think that just happens to be and what do you write about? You write about write about what you know. And the comedy seems to be um, appreciated across 
the board from you know sexually across the board <laughs> Se- genderly <laughs> Yeah, sexually I guess. sexually <laughs> almost makes it sound like like people are really they're <laughs> really going really at it. I mean, we are... get transgenderists, <laughs> we get transvestites, ah, bestiality, they love it. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, that's a good question because people do, people people love birds of prey, and it's a, it's been really fun. It's one of those things where I think it really it that does have to do with the fact that individually people all go, oh, I like you, I like you, I like you, yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily like, uh, you know, uh, has that much to do with the the girlness of it. But um, I've found that a lot that people do individually like like us on and they go, oh, wow, that's cool. I like all three of you individually and you happen to be in this group together. So, um, yeah, it it works. It's worked really well since we started doing it. And uh, I don't know if she mentioned that there was an earthquake at our first writing meeting. Hmm. No. (laughs) When was this? (laughs) Uh, it was probably over a year ago or something. I would say over a year ago. I don't remember. There's only been a few earthquakes of note since I moved here. Mm-hmm. It was pretty small. I mean, yeah. we, but it was definitely an earthquake where like we all went, what just happened? <laughs> you know what? I think uh, about a year ago on Easter, there was a, uh, there was a very, there was a slight earthquake. A year ago, Easter. I, I remember that. I was at the, I was at the, I was at the Thai New Year Festival in the, oh, beer, in the beer right. garden and I'd had a few. And I was like, you guys, am I, am I drunker than I think? Or yeah. is there an earthquake <laughs> happening right now? It is very dizzying, earthquakes yeah. are. I, uh, I, I was, uh, there was one, I think, like three years ago that was actually pretty big. And I, was, uh, I had my uh, runner job, and I was in my 95 Explorer, and I was sitting, and like, I started feeling shaking. And I was just like, shit. Do I have to take my car in again? Like, <laughs> I thought that it was shaking because it's not an unusual thing for it to do it. And then I arrived at my location like, oh, did you feel that earthquake? I'm like, all right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to pour I more money I, into this I car. I blew a tie rod or uh, some other car thing that I know. Um, I tend to know the names of car things because my dad was a mechanic, but I don't actually know how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I've you got any a movies carburetor. Do you have a carburetor? Th- What's that? Do you have a carburetor? I think we all have a carburetor. I, I've so. got at least one. Okay, I feel like I've. Cool. I think my car has moved beyond the n- <laughs> the need for one. Right? <laughs> is that a thing? Your car Did is it now sprout wings and take flight? Biomechanical. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, like my car was devised, uh, uh, invented by H.R. Uh, Giger. Uh-huh. Is that uh, that's he's biomechanical, right? Sure. Okay. All right. Just making sure. I went with Cylons. So, oh, Cylons. Nice. Um, Look at you. You guys are terrifying me. What's that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you seen any movies lately, Emily? I saw Bridesmaids with my mom. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's but Tyler here has seen good it. Good the program, buddy. Really I know. fucking good. It's a good movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really funny. I don't know what you thought. I don't really care. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, was, I, was like, I just don't like that chick comedy. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's this uh, group you're with? This oh, <laughs> just the babes of p- pussy or whatever. <laughs> 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 Sounds like a gimmick to me. <laughs> <laughs> Bridesmaids of Birds. Yeah. <laughs> no, you should change your name to that. Yep. Really cash in. Birds of Bridesmaids of Birds. <laughs> um, but you, uh, it is. Uh, it should be noted to the listener that we are recording this uh, about three weeks before it's actually going up. So uh, Bridesmaids is old news at this point. But don't th- let that stop you from talking about it. What did you? Uh, what yeah, did you like? Talking about, about Super Eight now. I'm imagining. Mm-hmm. Are they? I'm imagining I that's so, what's yeah. happening in three weeks. In three weeks? Yeah. Wow. People have already forgotten about The Hangover Part 2. 
How about this? X-Men First Class was a major disappointment to everyone. You gotta realize <laughs> that I just saw Avatar like two weeks ago. <laughs> you did, I, I, I'm always late to the dance on these things. What did, no, I saw Avatar twice in the theater. I can't really imagine watching it at home. How My mom it? bought a giant TV. Yeah. And it has Blu-ray and 3D, and she had the whole shebang. So you had the glasses on, you had the glasses 3D. on 3D. That I can I can imagine watching Avatar. Did you enjoy Avatar? I I enjoyed it. Yeah, it, she has this weird hippie thing where she doesn't have curtains. <laughs> I don't know why that's a hippie thing, other than when you ask like, don't you care if people see you naked? If they want to look, have at it. Like that's her <laughs> attitude. <laughs> If they want to see what I'm working with, let them look. That, and that's sort of why she doesn't have curtains. I don't know. She's not super. Pra- she's not super practical <laughs> when it comes to life, but <laughs> she is super practical in her profession. So she's a project manager and an architect and general contractor, hmm. a very logic based person in her profession, and she's been very successful at it. But in in but in as life, an architect, she de- she designs buildings without. <laughs> She designs buildings with very specific peepholes for looking at nudie ladies. Uh, Jane, I don't know what your mother's name is. Uh, Jane, you know, uh, we can... It seems a little strange. Hey, if they want to look, let them. It's like, I think that might be illegal. Jane. There's a porthole into the bathroom. <laughs> well, I mean, if they want to take the time. She's turns out she's the weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> she she has a certain degree of uh, admiration for uh, perverts in this life because <laughs> yeah. they're like, hey, you know, they're committed. <laughs> right. What do you want? <laughs> right. They had the follow through and wherewithal to keep their eyes locked on a certain position. Right. They have a hell of a time as it is. Why not make it easier on them? Just one building at a time. Yeah. They had to cut holes in the pockets of those trench coats. That couldn't have been easy. <laughs> Sorry, that last part got gross. All right. Uh, my okay, thoughts so were way beyond that. So, oh, okay, good. <laughs> That's right. uh, Avatar, Avatar was great, but it was afternoon, and with all this shebang bang, right. there was still like light pouring in, and it was mm. a little. But it was fun. It was good. Yeah, it was good. Well, what's uh, um, okay? So those the two movies you've seen recently are Bridesmaids and Avatar. Yeah. Okay. Um, what what do you Bridesmaids consider your killed it? Just yeah. want to say that one more time. Okay. Um, yeah. what about the three D though? Bridesmaids 3D. Yeah. Oh, man. I have never... Pink taffeta has never looked so real. (laughs) (laughs) So you... uh, I felt like I could catch the bouquet. I don't know what happens in there. Um, How cool would that be? (laughs) That's super duper chick flicking. There's the vomit in 3D. I was going to say, yeah. Vomit. um, There's that whole... Well, we don't want to give away anything, but there is a series of of phys- shenanigans that happens with the cop car with her driving around oh, driving yeah. by a cop trying to get stopped for uh speeding or other violations mm. oh. um i like that really, as a premise it's a fun it's a fun like series of stuff that happens so some of that stuff could have happened in 3d that would have been fun yeah i think so absolutely man oh man see this is what i want i want if you're gonna do 3d do everything in 3d even stuff that wouldn't do well with it just yeah. uh just just courtroom dramas, and it's like, oh, I really felt like I was in the jury, or yeah. something like that. Or just great. like, yeah, like like background player number thirty six in the audience of the courtroom kind of peels out to go to the restroom and crosses camera, and that's like right in front of you. <laughs> right. You feel like you can touch it. Like ah, oh, it's so real. 
But they'd probably incorporate stupid gimmicks like judge's gavel. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you feel like you're hit, it's hitting you right on the head. <laughs> that's like um oh, that's not you ever watch like those old you know, the previous sort of run of three D, you know, those movies are like they're on D V D now and not in three D, so like that Kiss Me Kate is ridiculous. like it's like because you don't know, it's not advertised as having been made for 3D. So it's like, why is it? Why does it keep throwing fruit at the, at the screen? <laughs> Wait, what movie is that? Kiss, Kiss Me Kate, Kate. an old uh, old musical. Was it remade? No, I'm saying no. this is from oh. the from the 50s when they were doing old 3D timey. before, and it was made to be 3D. Oh, yeah. But the DVD doesn't make any reference to that because uh, it's not in 3D now. So it's just right. him. Like, there's a whole scene where he talks and tosses fruit at the at the screen. God, that sense. makes me wonder. Like I remember as a kid getting um getting the three D classes and watching like Godzilla or something at mm-hmm. home mm-hmm. on black and white. That's the, that was the the kicker where we all put on my whole family had popcorn and glasses and I remember thinking I was pretty small being like, Oh cool but kind of feeling like I wasn't getting it. And then much later, realizing that we had a black and white television, yeah, like that, <laughs> it was all a sham. <laughs> that I think my dad even knew. Like the kids are really excited about these glasses, and like let's just <laughs> take the ride. <laughs> and just take the ride. Yeah, Absolutely. and like so, we were young enough for us to just be like, "Oh, cool, 3D," and <laughs> knowing damn well there was no, you know, cookies in the cookie jar or whatever. Now, Battleship Pretension blogger Josh Long was in a a very low-budget 3D movie, which, as far as I can tell, uh, I don't think it got any kind of theatrical release. I think it got a very small DVD release. But you can see it on YouTube in 3D mm-hmm. uh, and 2D as well. But uh, And they give you the various options of watching it in 3D. You can watch it like, like not green and yellow, but li- there's one where it's like there's the re- conventional red and blue, uh-huh. and then there's some other thing that is a little more uh not quite as assaulting on the eyes and uh magenta and cyan <laughs> maybe yeah, oh nice all right uh but Work, uh, working your weight on the color wheel <laughs> all right <laughs> so i and i happen to have a pair of the red and blue uh 3d glasses so i threw them on because i want to see my uh my buddy's uh, little movie there so i was watching it and i'm like ah oh, it is so difficult to watch to look at the world through this red and blue filter, like this is, this is literally painful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and yeah. then I realized that for an entire section of my life, any 3D, like 3D, like you know, picture books or whatever that I would look at, like I just looked, I would look at these for, you know, like a half hour at a time or two or like an hour at a time, and be like, ah, what was I doing to my eyes? No wonder my eyes went bad so quick. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I was just at the very least, I'm happy that new 3D. I actually took my uh, 3D glasses from the movie theater when I went and saw Thor, so that I can finally check out and see. Oh if, yeah, you uh, got to get Coraline something for that. Works, yeah, uh, on my player. Have here. you ever seen those old? Because 3D photography has been around forever. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. like those books of 3D photographs from the Civil War? Oh no, it's insane. Like they, they come with a little thing, and it has it's these like metal glasses you put on that has uh, like a thing sticking off it because you have to be a certain amount from. Mm. from the picture so you put the thing against against the book and you can see it and it's like it's awesome but it's also like here's a pile of amputated limbs out <laughs> behind this like field hospital <laughs> in 3d oh what's that small baby crawling towards us without a mother oh no i can <laughs> see it in 3d <laughs> oh no so uh okay so you've seen two films recently and that's it um 
What, what do you what do you what hey, do you count hey, among? Hey, I hear you condescending. <laughs> hey, hey, movie nerds. Uh, what do you count among your uh, favorite movies of all time? What do you what do you own? What do you throw in? Uh, what do I own? Golly. Okay, so I've probably I feel like this is the most common answer. But it still kind of holds true for me for very specific reasons. But like Goodfellas, uh-huh. right, is obviously a very good movie. And it's also a fave among, you know, it's like you don't have to. You can be cool. You can be knowledgeable about movies. Uh-huh. You can be not knowledgeable about movies. And you can still claim like that was a pretty good movie. Yeah. Um, but I remember when I was a kid, we talked about this briefly briefly before I... um like had all this trouble in school Mm. and I was like, I also had like sort of a troubled, you know, all this, you know, between family and behavioral stuff or like this childhood and adolescence that was very troubled. So I remember at one point literally thinking like, whatever, if I get out of school and like some college doesn't want me right away, I'm going to go into organized crime. (laughs) I really thought like (laughs) that was my plan. Like, what was your, like, what, how does what's the entry point for organized <laughs> yeah. crime? What did you have laid out for how to get in, like entry level well, position in organized is crime? It, it's like like well, Tony Soprano where you hold up a card game to make your name. No, no, I think that there's just an element of like there is like there's lawful and lawless like in the world. Uh-huh. I think there are people who just work outside the system because it is kind of upside down and backwards situation where like it's hard to get anywhere right? because there are a lot of people with a lot of money who want everybody else to have nothing. But when growing up in San Francisco, everybody sells weed. Like people, if you're, you know, small time and then mm. they become not so small time. It's just a very weird thing where I think Northern California culture and especially in the city, um, everybody's a weed dealer, man. Uh-huh. So it makes it seem like, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14 years old, like, yeah, man, I'm just like, just sell some weed. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I really don't know what I thought, but I thought, I remember thinking, like, I know I'm smart. So if, like, the world doesn't want me, I'll figure it out and I'll start my own organized crime. Ra- I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought I had a lot of really crazy thoughts at that time as, like, a problematic child. But um, there was the, that one of the opening lines of the movie. In voiceover, uh-huh. it might not be the opening line of of Goodfellas. Is like ever since I was a little kid, yeah. I always it, wanted to be a gangster. The first line is as far back as I can remember. Yeah, as far back as I always I wanted to be a gangster. I always wanted to be a yeah. gangster. You know, it makes me wonder. Uh, there's a. Uh, <coughs> I had a thought for a topic uh, sometime soon, in which we talk about like. Like new classics now, of course, nothing like that. That's not a new concept. Uh, Like Entertainment Weekly does that from time to time. Like movies that are maybe in the last twenty years that people would consider classics, and the idea, I think, being that. But then I then I started to develop it in my own mind to the point where I thought, okay, well, perhaps well, I would define classic as movies that. Like you mentioned with Goodfellas, everybody can agree on. Right. Like, there movies like I would venture to say Pulp Fiction sure. or Goodfellas or Stand Shawshank by Me, Redemption, Shawshank Redemption, Stand by Me. 
just yeah. movies that everyone like you can it can be the first movie you've ever seen right admittedly if pulp fiction is the first movie you've ever seen <laughs> you're fucked some things <laughs> might throw you right but uh <laughs> but like you know if you can be completely cinematically illiterate or you can have gone to you can have a doctorate in film and everyone sa- agrees like that is amazing sure and uh, and i would like to i i would like to do an episode someday on figuring out not of course all of them but what some of those movies are that just everybody can agree on. yeah i mean i think that they that that it wouldn't be too hard to sort of track that Mm -hmm. i think if you were to look at a bunch of different lists and a bunch of different ways that people have categorized Mm -hmm. bests over the last 20 years then 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 you would be able to sort of figure that out and what's in the cross-section the opposite of that i was sort of thinking about recently is like you guys are good people to ask about this. I hope. The the on. inverted the definition of that inverted would be what I what I would call what I do love like arty farty what people would call okay. or the average Joe would call arty farty obscure yeah. narrow um, sometimes for the sake of itself okay. <laughs> yeah um, uh, not necessarily universal. Um, but you know, artistically work, work, yeah, work, (laughs) artistically work. (laughs) It's been done, but like, I think I was, I I wonder sometimes if people or if you, or if you know people like this, like admittedly like arty farty because it's arty farty for this, because like, if you know, if you have a secret knowledge of the fact that you're like, I don't really totally get what this is but it's so artistically out there that there must be some intelligence about it that i would like to claim that i get you know i feel like i and probably a lot of people who are have become grown adult adult i was gonna say adult film fans but that's not what i meant (laughs) um (laughs) i feel like i went through that period where i you kind of have to be like that right you have to like it's like I, I was when I was in high school. I understood okay, film is a thing I want to love, and I know based on what I've read that David Lynch or 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 Jean-Luc Godard are things that are important. So I'll watch them and love them, even though like you know when I go back and watch like Blue Velvet now, like I feel like how did sixteen-year-old me like get what was going on, like get why this was so great, right? Uh, and I feel like you ca- I kind of had maybe you I, you kind of have to fake it till you make it. I sure, think. sure. So I, I would imagine a lot of people went through went through that where they were watching films that they were told were important or just seemed arty, right? Because well, you were trying to get there, right? And there's an appreciation of the abstract or what you mm-hmm. what your what the mind doesn't necessarily register as uh, as logical or or defined in its meaning, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but do you, th- th- I guess the question is like, do you, are you aware that you're admiring the abstractness of it or what you did just answer the question, which is like, are you just kind of faking it until you make it? Which yeah. But, uh, but at this point, I don't think I do admire a movie just for being abstract. Right. Um, you know, I, I just saw, and so I won't, even though it's been out for a few weeks by the time this goes up, I won't give any spoilers, but I just saw uh terrence malick's the tree of life i want to see that on monday and it's it's fantastic and in i mean there are sections of the movie that seem to 
for a while fall into traditional narrative in that they are chronological, but then it sort of jumps. That's not the Malik I know. Yeah, and then it just jumps all <laughs> over the place. Literally, the camera moves all over the place, and in time, it jumps all over the place. And that alone isn't... I think maybe when I was in high school, I might have liked it just because it it did that. Right. You know? Um, it was probably what drew me to Pulp Fiction in the first place was just the fact that it was daring by being non-chronological. Right. But now I don't I don't take that in consideration. I'm like, okay, this is the technique he's choosing. Does it work? And how does it work? And what is he trying to say with it? Right. But I still had to go through that period where I just uh, embraced something because it seemed different right. than, you know, the Michael Bay movies or the Polly Shore comedies that were in the theaters and popular among my peers. I think I, I had a... Oh, I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. no, I was just going to say that I did recently because, I again, I told you I'm always late to the dance. I just saw The Social Network. Oh, that's mm-hmm. And that good. was something that uh, surprised me about that. The the storytelling was uh, how not linear it was. I, I just assumed that it was going to be a very linear and straightforward narrative from the story that we know from mm. the right. from the trailers and everything else. And I was surprised by. It. I liked. It. Of course, it, it completely worked. Yeah. But I was for some reason. But it does. It has like a, a framing. But the <coughs> framing device isn't even the right word. Uh, right. But, um. But I do feel like, uh, you know, post uh, Pulp Fiction and Memento and, and stuff, right. uh, <laughs> Social Network is, it's a great movie, but I don't feel like it is narratively that unconventional. I think oh, no. audiences, there's a reason people went and saw, lots of people went and saw Social Network. That stuff doesn't challenge people the way it used to. Right. And of course there were, you know, I, I don't want to, because I'm supposed to be the knowledgeable film person, I want to point out that. Citizen Kane is not told chronologically. Uh, Sunset Boulevard starts with the ki- the dead character in the pool narrating. So I know this is not a brand. This the killing is a- Kubrick's the killing jumps around yeah. a little bit. So I know this isn't a new thing t- to you know that Pulp Fiction didn't start it, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's become after this sort of indie boom. Ugh, I don't like that phrase. But, uh, <laughs> of, of the nineties, it's become more. More acceptable and less remarkable. I've never seen somebody condemn themselves so quick. <laughs> Indie boom. <laughs> oh, I hate myself. Um, I want to. I want to go back to uh, to your question a little bit uh, and answer for myself because, and I think I mentioned this on my on my other podcast, Emily. Yes, I have two, as does David. Um, <laughs> Who doesn't? He's <laughs> just like, oh, one is not enough to contain me. So. Um, uh, I had an English teacher in 10th grade uh, named uh, Miss Early, and she was a pretty good teacher, but I can point to one specific thing that she did that I am I feel like I will be forever indebted to her for doing this, which was we had read Catcher in the Rye, and she gave out like a little questionnaire about it, and one of them was, what is your, one of the questions was, what is your reaction to this book? And there were various answers, and you could check one, and and one was like, I loved it. One was, I hated it. And then one, and there were a few others, but one said, I know something is going on here, but I can't quite tell what it is. Mm. But I do like it. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I, and I checked that mm-hmm. because I certainly did like the movie, uh, like the, the book, but, uh, but I knew that even at the time, I felt like there was something bigger going on. Mm-hmm. And that little, that little option it kind of told me that that's okay. Right. You don't have to have everything figured out. Even at this point in my life, like I only saw uh, 
persona, Ingmar Bergman's persona, I only saw that for the first time a few months ago. And I think I have a fairly good handle on what it is, what it is trying to do thematically. Mm -hmm. But there's still so much. There are some movies that are so dense Mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter if you have a film degree. It doesn't matter if you've seen every movie in the world. What is going on with that movie? (laughs) (laughs) I do enjoy. I mean, it's a beautiful film. but It's one of those uh, about ladies. Right. You'd love it. (laughs) No, I've seen it. It's about there's darkness and light. There's uh, sexuality and craziness and a beach. Are we, are we back to bridesmaids again? <laughs> <laughs> bridesmaids is uh, they, they say it's uh, pers- which one has the footage of the monk setting himself on fire? Is that persona? <laughs> Wait, or is that bridesmaids? <laughs> <laughs> but and so I, there are just some movies that are just you can't get. I, I've I've described it this way, and it's a really like cheesy metaphor. Like it's like trying to grab at the wind. You can absolutely feel it, sure. but you can't hold on to it. Right, and after and. The, the fact that my English teacher sort of gave me permission to be like, you don't have to be able to grab onto it. You, you just have to kind of sit back and feel it. And yeah. that's it. You, and, uh, and so I, for, for myself, I know that there are some movies that I, f- that I feel academically, there's a lot of pressure to like, mm-hmm. uh, but then there are some where it's just like, there is something brilliant going on here. I think it might be too brilliant for me to understand. Might even be too brilliant for the filmmaker himself or herself to understand. But it is something that I can at least appreciate. Right. And uh, and I actually find those to be some of the most invigorating mm-hmm. because it's something new. That's one of the reasons I liked uh, that my favorite movie of last year was um, uh, Black Swan mm-hmm. was because there was a lot of stuff going on there. Some of it was pretty easy but mm-hmm. some of it is pretty complex mm-hmm. and uh, and i liked it a lot oh yeah, yeah that's that was a very talk about on the show like movies where where it seems like the director maybe maybe doesn't even entirely know what he or yeah. she is trying to say but it's just or what effect they're getting right mm-hmm. it's they just something they have humanity. to get out of them right you know i mean i find uh <laughs> i feel like i i learn something new about lawrence of arabia every time i see it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um probably some others I don't know. I was just watching mm-hmm. after it came up a few weeks ago on the show. I can't remember who we were talking to when it came up. We've done so many episodes with guests lately, but uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just probably like me talking about it. I just recently rewatched it. I watched some yeah. of it. It's hard for me to watch all yeah. of that. <laughs> and I feel like every time I watch it, I appreciate it more and want to watch it less. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it, Yeah. I, I, we went through this. It's not a pleasant viewing experience, but it's very well done. Yeah. There are some moments in that movie that are, Yeah some of my favorite and most meaningful moments in mm-hmm. a film, I think just that nothing. I want nothing like the, <laughs> I mean, I mean, the idea of somebody lost in the universe and mm-hmm. time and space and all they can communicate is that they want nothing. They, you know what I mean? You have those yeah. moments. Like mm-hmm. that's the most, I think it's a great, great uh, slice of what it means to be human. I think it's mm-hmm. just like at your most bare and, uh-huh. and, pure purely uh need and survival driven moment you're just like hmm. stuff is not what i yeah i wish i could want nothing for even a second i'm so <laughs> <sighs> such a consumerist i have be- i have become everything that 15 16 year old david hated <laughs> Man, really I, I love i love stuff mm. you know what he really you know what he really would have hated what that tie that tie <laughs> Oh boy! That you didn't even take <laughs> off after work. <laughs> <laughs> David Bax is still wearing his tie, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, they know because dapper. Tyler makes fun of me pretty much every week Good. for wearing a tie. Good. 
It's As he again, and I'm not making fun. You look great, David. You look wonderful. Mm-hmm. If I if I I work from home, I part of me wishes I had to wear a tie, and I guess I could in life. But people would be like, uh, "What's with the tie, jerk?" Like you at least have a job that you can point to and say, "Well, my job requires a tie." Yeah, my job yeah. doesn't require a tie though. Right, but it makes sense. You Aww. still work in an office, and that's yeah. well, that's nice I, of you to put on a tie. If you put on a tie, mm-hmm. it would be a little like wearing a cape. <laughs> 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 Out to the yeah. coffee shop or whatever. Or, you know, wearing my father's <laughs> shoes, which are much larger. And it's like, look at me. I'm a big boy. So, um, but I do actually, uh, I, I want to, the, the question that you threw out to us, I, uh, I kind of want to throw it uh, to you because, you know, f- for us, the we there's a certain degree of, there's a competition amongst, uh, c- uh, not a competition, uh, a competitive spirit amongst uh, movie people, mm-hmm. which is you, you're losing unless you've seen the most. Right. <laughs> there's always someone who's seen more than you, and that makes them, of course, better than you. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a great deal of pressure to be able to explain everything definitively. If you have an argument about this movie's good or bad, it is entirely possible that two people could be right. No, no, no. That option is uh, mm-hmm. not available. Mm-hmm. You, one is one person is right. One person is wrong. So there's a lot of pressure, and so the idea of wanting to, or a drive to like something that is, as you say, arty farty, mm-hmm. um, that's that's how it is for us. I certainly know that I feel it a great deal. Uh, for yourself, who you know, you're part of the comedy community, which can have its own, you know, its own type of competition. I think mm-hmm. every every field does. But is that something that you feel when you come across a movie that is a little more abstract or experimental do you feel that drive in yourself to just be like no i like it i don't get it but i like it is that something you can relate to well i certainly uh am am super open to the experience of whatever it is and i tend towards appreciating things that people made for the sake of making them Mm -hmm. but i also what I really like about your third option on your school assignment with Catcher in the Rye and your, and your teacher giving you that, I, I think that people tend to, especially with fanaticism about any particular subject, get uh, into a frenzied state of compulsive uh, need to, to know or, or, or uh, uh, consume the, the knowledge of. That makes me so uncomfortable. I don't know what it is. I think because I have that in me to mm-hmm. be like very compulsive about things that I've like taken a stance on art, music, film, television, everything else that I really like things to come to me. I feel like I have a great experience with like um, uh, I feel like I have great tastes. I've seen great film i don't think i'm like an idiot when it comes to what's what's good and bad or intelligent or interesting but the the need to be up on something is something that i've really needed in in order for me to survive i think i've really needed to let go of and that served me somehow as an artist because that's just where i am i like i I like what i like Mm -hmm. yeah uh i do definitely like um yeah, I just I don't I don't get wrapped up in the wave. Mm-hmm. And uh nonetheless, like I do appreciate you know things for the sake of uh of of the artistic experience. I like you know, for example, Eames films, Eames shorts. I don't know if you're familiar with like the Ray and Charles Eames uh f- 
that they were furniture makers, but they also oh, yes. made a bunch of like short films. They're yes, just I... like film like, you know, textiles and tops and, you know, weird shit to music. I love it. Early David Lynch shorts. Like yeah. they're, they're, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Just for the absorption of the, you mm. know, the art and light and the thought and the mm-hmm. conception of something that somebody brought to fruition is beautiful to me. But, you know, I'm not going to claim that I am a professional academic about uh-huh. anything. You know, this I like to I like <laughs> to sit back and just appreciate, you know, the struggle you talk about, about like making it OK, being OK with yourself, not being always at the cutting edge of knowledge on every on, on the thing right. like that is something that i also had to struggle with especially when we started this podcast because like internet communities like mm-hmm. nerd internet fan communities so much of the currency and the cred is about being first and mm-hmm. seeing things opening night and having an opinion as soon as possible oh or God, your, makes me die. yeah and like I just it's, it's the worst um, feeling as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And it's made me, <laughs> um, my annoyance with that has sometimes made me bitter. Sometimes maybe, this is something weird. I feel like last week with Susan off mic, before we started recording, I was talking about how I am, I if I had like one shred less willpower, I would be the world's biggest internet troll. Mm-hmm. Because everything I read on the internet makes me angry. Mm-hmm. And this is, by the way, I don't go out looking for stuff to make it. I, I choose which podcasts and which which websites that I read that are to, that are that are theoretically geared toward me and they still annoy me so much all the time and if I like just one shred less willpower I would be the world's biggest internet troll cuz everything <laughs> drives me crazy I and know. that's a it's a struggle for me like I, I find myself like why am I reading this entertainment weekly I don't yeah, that's I've never even I... heard of Dirks Bentley before and now I'm annoyed at this review of his album <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> How can I? I mean, it's such a whirlpool that mm. I just like I can't. I think I decided long ago. And sometimes, sometimes, I mean, I, I would say the thing that I've come closest to being fanatical about at all in my adult life, probably since I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was like, all of, yeah, music, you know, music. And I wanted mm-hmm. this. I was very uh, probably leaning towards the compulsive. And I, found that that was like not working for me mm-hmm. i mean everything i you know politics is, is social work i mean the state of the world like history everything i mean it was so much and i think i do tend to um my receptors tend to be pretty heightened which is probably why i smoke weed <laughs> just kidding i'm not um <laughs> it's okay with us <laughs> and the rest of all i don't know why i feel the need to announce it but <clears throat> yeah sometimes it boils down to that where um i appreciate people who are expert uh mm-hmm. experts in their field uh of choice um and i in, in some i guess some instances i wish i could be that way but i don't feel the need to like win in that way i guess I do find that for myself, and yeah, I'll throw this out there. My uh, my depression issues are quickly becoming pretty well documented <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> between, be- admittedly, I volunteered to go on Paul, Paul Gil Martin's show, and then people about it read it on the Onion AV Club. It's fine, <laughs> but so I'm not. Yeah, going I don't know to- if you knew this. Tyler was talked about. As a depressed person on the Onion AV Club. <laughs> yeah. So, That's anyway, an we've been doing that this podcast for four years. The Onion AV Club has uh, never made mention of us except for someone in the comments saying, 
you guys showed up at the NEV club and then five people saying, or you no, guys showed up at Bachelor Pretension and five people saying, that show sucks. I gave it a try. I had to, whatever. Hey, guys. Someone, someone commented, meh. <laughs> yeah. It's like, seriously? <laughs> so after four years of that, Tyler goes on some podcast and talks about how sad he is. And <laughs> suddenly we're mentioned on the AV club. <laughs> and of course it's funny. attitudes like that that always help, right? <laughs> anyway, what I mean to say <laughs> is that uh, I bring that up because I know that right now I find it very difficult to fight this this idea of one of of competition mm-hmm. and like looking at other people uh, who aspire to the same things that I do and like there, like I have a friend who has seen a surprising amount of like foreign films, and as as listeners know, like I, I have nothing against foreign films, but I haven't seen very many of them, and so. But you mean you haven't seen as many as you, like, f- somehow feel like you should. As, as many as I feel like I should. I yeah, think you've seen. Like, you just talk about seeing Persona. You've yeah, seen, you've I seen I still haven't seen like Seven Samurai. There's a lot that I haven't seen anyway, um, but. Uh, but it's interesting because, like, I, I think about, like, this friend of mine who has seen all these things, and he's younger than I am, and he saw them before I did. I went to film school, and literally, like, I found my—it, I, like, threw me into something of a personal crisis, and I think, like, what the fuck have I been doing with my life? Well, if, I, if I haven't seen—I'm sorry to swear and bump no, things but, up a notch, no, but, no, like— no, wait, you have— uh, I'm gonna be the guy who talks you out of this. Oh, you thanks, have, buddy. You have a, a lovely marriage and and, and a nice apartment mm-hmm. in and North Hollywood, and uh, you know the, the second cutest cat in the world. <laughs> Here's the thing: you put those cats in a room, my cat will kill your cat and become the cutest. Oh no, my cat may be small, but she's uh, she's wiry. Well, <laughs> I believe you. Um, well, that's like that's sort of what I mean. That's sort of what I meant by my earlier question: is mm-hmm. at what point is it just the need to? Is it just one-upmanship? And where? When? When mm-hmm. is it like? Uh, there's something more beautiful and more honest about, I think, and more human about like being able to say, you know, yeah. I saw it. I didn't see it. It was important to me. It wasn't important to me. It's supposed to be important to me. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be important to me if I'm going to be this kind of a, you know, person or expert on on this thing. But I didn't. I didn't appreciate it the way that you think I should or whatever. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, feel free to be, you know. And it is fuck fr- that guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. He's a good friend. But, um, <laughs> and it is and it is interesting. You know, because David mentioned like being an internet presence. And being a part of the low-level internet presence, very, very of course. low level. Um, let's not toot our own horns. Wait till this drops! Oh, oh yes. boy, <laughs> Emily Mills. <laughs> now that we've got the uh, Mills, the yes. uh, battleship retention, birds of prey, like it's like Voltron. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna take over the internet together. Yeah, once um, Lizzie Cooperman yeah, we gotta, comes we gotta on, book, yeah. book Lizzie Cooperman. You but, float uh, up to. But like you know, what's interesting is that, and and we've made reference to this guy a couple of times, is that. Because I do eventually arrive at that. It's like, oh, well, I, I've spent time doing other things that are, in my view, more important, like trying to be a good husband and stuff like that. But then just when you're thinking that, you will sometimes get an email from someone saying, like, you are not taking movies seriously enough if you haven't seen this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the movie that he used as a template for David 
<laughs> Trees Lounge. Trees Lounge, directed by Steve Buscemi. Perfectly good movie. Very good movie. One of the better, again, one of the better <laughs> yeah. portrayals of alcoholism. But really? Not, that's the not, one. Not really a part of the canon. Not a Trees part of the Clowns. canon. Yeah. You want to get mad at me for not having seen Breathless? Fair enough. <laughs> but you like, know what? Ever since, I think I said this before, when... When I moved in with my girlfriend a little over a year ago, she has a copy of Trees Lounge on DVD. So now I have a copy of Trees Lounge on DVD. And I look at it all the time and I go, you know what? Fuck that guy. I'm still not going to watch that. See? Right. (laughs) See? So so it is. And and so what's what's fascinating is like you're trying – you try to get like – you try to have a healthy attitude about it. And then you get an email from from – not from nowhere, but from a listener saying like, hey, uh, you know that destructive instinct you had a moment ago? That was right, and you <laughs> oh. should follow that. And no, it's, it's, don't listen to those people, yeah. man. I mean, that's the thing is that in in life, you know, if we can't eventually get to a point where outside factors are cannot be the cause of our of our you know downfall, mm-hmm. then what's the point? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I to to me, I think that's that's what I'm working towards, and especially I think as an actor and a comic and all this stuff, where everybody else's opinion seems to have um, your destiny in its hands. Fuck them, man. They don't know mm-hmm. what they're talking about. You know, half the time they don't know what they're <laughs> talking about. Uh, you know, you can only do. <sighs> Sorry, I swear so much. Jesus, oh, what a we sailor are, we are, I am uh, over we here. A, there's an explicit warning on Battleship Retention in iTunes. Is it on there? I assume that it better be. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> it will be no. Well, <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Thanks, Emily. On the Toys R Us website. Is there no warning on that <laughs> one? Um, <laughs> uh, my point is that, yeah, I think the end goal, to me, the end goal in the game, and I think it's been something where uh, that the, the importance of which has been increased by the drive to be in this uh have this career path that's dependent on other people's judgment of Mm -hmm. you is that like those moments where other people are telling you how it should be cannot alter your sense of your sense um, of knowing like uh, you you know what you know you know mm -hmm. how you feel about movies you know how you here we are working that out do you want to put your feet up and kick back on the couch? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I, made, I made a joke about you being the uh of Retention Marriage Council, yeah. but I feel like you're giving us some pretty good uh, insight here. Well, I don't and know. I f- I mean, I um, but when you talk about like the other people <coughs> in terms of comedy, are you talking about other comics who are... <clears throat> no, no, no. I just mean that like or? in order, you know, in, 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 uh, in order to get a job, you have to straight up mm-hmm. put yourself out and be accepted or not. Or denied, you know what I mean. So, in the course of that being the, the life that you've chosen, you have to be get pretty good at being like, you know what? Not everybody knows what they're talking about, and and people who tend to think that they have uh, superiority above, you know, your sensibility, a lot of times they're just other humans blowing bullshit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I they have their same issues, and like whatever. What is superiority anyway? And I do feel that as a as a comedian, like you are in a a very a specifically rare uh, you're in a rare position to talk about that sort of thing because even even if it's you know someone you know booking you for a gig or offering you a job or something like that, even aside from that, the audience themselves, like for you, it's all about feedback. I mean, mm-hmm. instant feedback. If mm-hmm. you say something that they don't think is funny, they won't laugh and. In there, not laughing, you immediately ha- you immediately, I'm sure, 
start questioning yourself and think like, well, I thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not. Or that's funny. Well, you These can't, guys don't know what they're yeah. talking about. Yeah, you can't be that susceptible to like, if if they didn't respond to something as though it was funny, you know, you just didn't, maybe you didn't execute it right, but you still have to be utterly convinced that it was funny to begin with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But that just means it doesn't work. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you're not funny or that your instinct wasn't fucking hilarious. There you go. <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> I think that might have been my seventh F bomb. Sorry, guys. That's okay. It's okay. Um, but seven was the number we were going for, so I All think right. we can start uh, wrapping this up. <laughs> That's, it's the secret game that we play. How many times <laughs> once we get the uh, the uh, the guest to seven fucks? Yeah. We start. Ra- we start. That's wrapping why we things keep up. having Fatem on. He hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! He'll never say that. Can't enough. possibly be true. Um, so, uh, well, you can you can find us at battleshipretention dot com. You can uh, email us David at battleshipretention dot com. Tyler at battleshipretention dot com. Um, I'm on Twitter at twitter dot com slash the pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at uh, at more lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at more than one lesson dot com. And my other podcast is the weekly television review show, Previously On, which is at previouslyonshow dot com. Emily, where can people find you on the internet? Cool. Um, <laughs> you're the, that was cool. You're you're all of your rattling. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm at twitter dot com slash Emily Maya Mills. I'm pretty much everywhere. Emily Maya Mills, uh, Tumblr, the Facebooksies. Um, you can check out my bio on UCB. UCB Comedy. What's that? LinkedIn. No, I've never. <laughs> you know what? I've never said yes to a LinkedIn. And uh, I finally got one this past week that I was like, man, if I don't say yes to this, it was like an important person. Where <laughs> I'm like, how, how do I deal with this? I don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, I joined LinkedIn. I don't really, I don't really know what it is. I joined it. I want to ask that person why I should join because why are they on there? <laughs> is is it supposed to be somewhere between like Facebook and Monster dot com? Like it's a that's what I guess. job yeah. type thing. It is definitely a professional right. like your, where your dad would be on there or whatever. Right. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know why I need to be on there. You're the one who wears a tie to work. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying the it, it's professional. So like the. The the dumb offensive jokes I make on Twitter I, I say jokes in quote I'm not I'm not funny but I should not say those on LinkedIn LinkedIn is stuff you'd be okay with your mom reading right. I think that what we should do is all join LinkedIn and start doing sort of like your mama format jokes <laughs> but just about the office uh-huh. the TV um, show The Office yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The office so fat. No, the office so fat. <laughs> they ain't got no Skittles in the vending machine. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that one, that, there you go. That didn't make any sense. No, it made perfect sense. <laughs> Let's not think about it. I'm gonna Let's say go makes, out on a high note. I'm going to say it makes too much sense. Emily, thank you Woo! so much. <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a blast. Thank you for having and we me. We can't wait to have you back. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.